Hey guys, welcome to episode 8 of Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. Uh, so today, myself and Rambeer were speaking with Kathy White. Uh, Kathy White is the communications and marketing manager at Seed Camp. Uh, Seed Camp is one of Europe's biggest first-round funds. Um, she's also the organizer and host of Geek Girl Meetup. Uh, now, Geek Girl Meetup is an initiative which is aimed to get women more involved in technology. Um, in this episode, we discuss the art of creating a good story for your startup. Um, we discuss the importance of doing your own PR. Um, and we also discuss why you need to have a strong subject line when you're contacting journalists. Um, again, this is a PR masterclass. Um, so please do have your pen and papers at the ready. Enjoy the episode. So, thanks for coming down, Kathy. Thank you for having me. To start off, how do you introduce yourself to people you meet at dinner parties? In a very complicated manner, usually, because if I'm at a dinner party, they never quite understand what it is that I do. But my official title is I am Communications and Marketing Manager for Seacamp. And outside of my day-to-day job, I am one of the organisers of Geek Girl Meetup UK. Very nice and concise. I would talk to you at a dinner party after that introduction, so good stuff. Cool. With many questions? <laughs> um, yeah, mostly why don't you have a phone? Technically not at the moment because puddles are not my friend. No. Okay, so in about, you know, around four bullet points, tell us exactly what you did after graduating and like where you're at today. So four bullet points, I'm afraid they're going to be slightly long, but I will get there. Uh, So initially, I did a postgraduate, and when I finished my postgrad, I wanted to originally be a television and radio presenter, and I wanted to get into production. So I went to do a post-production internship in Soho, and it was terrible. Mm. I spent the first two weeks with a bunch of people who actually thought I was a replacement receptionist. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and you know, it's kind of a typical media production type of internship where effectively you are a runner. So Mm. you grab disks, hard drives, whatever, and you run them around Soho to whatever production house. Mm. And whilst it was great for my waist, um, I didn't really learn very much at all. And I wasn't getting paid and it is really really difficult I was fortunate in that I had some parents that would support me but it wasn't testing me mentally mm. there was nothing I was really learning and it, that really really pained me and uh, the next big move was that my um, my sister-in-law my, my brother's partner uh, was PR manager for Index Ventures uh, which is one of the kind of more well-known European VCs and mm-hmm. um, invested in a lot of amazing companies and they ha- were using a PR agency and that PR agency was very, very small in London. It was a satellite office for a Silicon Valley-based PR agency mm-hmm. and they needed an intern and I got told it paid and I had no idea what PR was <laughs> and I applied. <laughs> what did you think it was? Um, well, I kind of knew, you know, it involved getting in front of the media and, and kind of a publicist type role. But that's a very kind of just front gazing mm. one side of it yeah. idea of what PR actually is. So I, I kind of went along with that in mind and 
fortunately, there are quite a few people in my family that work within public relations, and my my uncle is a doctor in kind of communications, among other things. So, so he was my go-to. I just kind of went and spoke to Uncle John. And What's a doctor in communications? Uh, in, if you're having trouble <laughs> talking to people, you go to him. No, 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 no. It, 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 it's much, much more than that. Um, he's a very, very intelligent man, and for me to just go along and sit with him in his lounge in London and just be like, what is PR? <laughs> and him explaining it to me was really, crash really course. useful. Exactly, a crash course before I went in for an interview. And fortunately, I got the role. So Spark PR was my kind of first proper step on the ladder within the kind of PR agency world. And not only was it PR, but it was tech. And I was a person who didn't know anything about PR and also didn't really know anything about tech. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and suddenly I was thrown into the world of tech PR and specifically the startup ecosystem. Uh, so I learned a lot very quickly. It was very much an internship that was, uh, you know, swim or sink. Mm -hmm. I've just got to run before I can even crawl. I've just got to roll with it and, and learn as much as possible. And yeah. it was a, a fantastic learning experience. Very stressful at times, but it was fantastic. And I think the kind of key moment for me that then kind of determined my career to date so far was that uh, I ended up kind of being the acting managing director within about eight months of joining. Oh, wow. And it was because we were initially a very small team. Sure. Uh, one uh, member had gone on maternity leave. Uh, the managing director had been poached and she'd gone on to a fantastic job and, and with the main headquarters being in San Francisco it meant that it was much much harder for them to hire the yeah. right person to lead the company so while they were trying to find the right person with a great amount of experience I had to step up and manage the office and manage our freelance network and you know constantly communicate with the clients which was awesome because I was learning everything at a very kind of senior level but also a very junior level mm -hmm. And it was a, a great confidence booster. I'm not going to lie, it was hugely stressful. Um, and I had multiple moments where I kind of broke down with my boyfriend at the time because you're kind of reporting in the whole different you know, time zone yeah. of San Francisco and you're kind of second guessing yourself all the time because you've got no one to turn to. Mm. Um, but it was really good. And in that period, I didn't lose a single client, which was fantastic. Very well done. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, and then after that, you know, someone new came in and and I went from having a lot of autonomy and kind of rolling with everything to not having that anymore. And that was really hard for me. So it's that taste of, right, you can do all of this. Yeah, and then yeah. someone comes in and, nope, back down you go. Um, and it's, it's not great. Once you've had a taste for it, you kind of just want more. Yeah. So after that, I moved on to a startup for three months that had been a client and that was Silicon Milk Roundabout. Mm -hmm. So Silicon Milk Roundabout is a, a job fair to help startups find amazing technical talent originally, but now they do multiple roles. Mm -hmm. And they, they're still rolling every six months. They do massive, massive job fairs. And I highly recommend anyone in startups to have a look at them because it's a great way to find great talent. And then after that, I went to another PR agency and uh, kind of incestuous, but I was sharing office space with that PR agency whilst I was in Spark PR. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, we've been renting desk space from uh, this wider company called Albion. Uh, Albion Drive was the PR arm of Albion, and uh, they've been kind of keeping an eye on me from the sidelines. So. Is it Albion Ventures? Right? No, Albion Drive. Okay. Yeah. 
So I went to work at Albion Drive and again, I was part of a really small team. So it was two, three of us to begin with. And then we, we scaled over about two and a half years by the time I left to a team of 16. Mm-hmm. And the wow. team there have continued to grow and they're doing very well. Uh, but the, the next step for me was to go and do something which is a little bit more in-house. So I moved to Sea Camp. And uh, it's kind of a really, really cool role in that it's, it still feels like I'm part of an agency randomly because my role is split. So 50% of the time, 50, 60% of the time, I'm actively kind of brand ambassador. I'm working on all of the comms, all of the marketing for Seed Camp. Uh, and then 40, 50% of the time, I am an advisor. So I help all of our early stage startups with their PR in terms of building out a strategy when you're bootstrapping. It could be I help them in terms of kind of briefing an advertising agency and actually figuring out how they're helping pull a brief together. Mm. Um, even down to like simple things like how to actually use Facebook advertising in a, a really kind of cool way to test your messaging. Mm-hmm. So it's nice because I, I feel like I have 200 clients, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. which uh, is a, a little bit stressful at times, but it, it's great because you're constantly facing a different problem mm-hmm. because they all do different things and and that's nice because again you're, you're kind of constantly testing the things that you already know and you're having to go out and find new ways of doing things because you're thrown into a different sector within tech and mm. that's really really cool so much so much good stuff in there and I, I think yeah. i think it was like four career moments but um yeah bullet points not being very succinct today, sorry. <laughs> no, great stuff. Um, so let's start off uh, with uh, Spark PR. So uh, you mentioned uh, you weren't too sure what PR was when you were uh, getting into it. So what instantly stood out to you about how they went about their PR and marketing that you weren't aware of before you went in? So the thing that I got taught very early on at Spark was storytelling Um, and it's something that I think a lot of people take for granted Mm. but the power of being able to tell a story in numerous different ways makes you stand out above the rest and you know when you're a very very junior within a kind of a PR agency you will be tasked with writing a pitch email that goes to a journalist to either address a uh, an op that has come through whatever platform you're using or, or you're just kind of on the off chance pitching the story thinking this might be one for them and I might be able to get a client a great piece of coverage. So I'd have to write out a pitch mm-hmm. and then I would pass it on to my account director at the time who's now a really, really close friend and mm-hmm. she's lovely. But at the time, I hated her and her little red pen. It's like being back at school where you kind of go with the piece of homework that you've been working on, hand it over, and Probably, then, and then, and then, and then they shred it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and at the time, it used to, it kind of petrified me to begin with. You, you, you became so aware of not wanting to have the red pen that you would iterate and iterate and iterate on what you're doing and you get to a point where you're like I don't know what else I can change yeah. and you just have to hand it over but it kind of always used to have me on edge I was like oh I don't think I've done a very good job or anything so you pass it over and Laura at the time this this whole process really really kind of put me on edge but now looking back on it it was like the best thing ever mm. because it has helped me out so much to have someone 
go through your story, your pitch and whatever and, and tell you what to change or how to make it snappier or what information is key that you're missing and drill that into you. So, so, so. So what were some of the most common mistakes you were making in the early days that Laura would correct? Using too many words to get a story across or not getting to the point of the story quick enough. Mm -hmm. So it's a simple thing that you think about when you read an email. Mm -hmm. The first thing you see is the subject of that email. Uh Now, if you're a journalist, you're getting hundreds, if not thousands of emails that are coming through every single week. And you only have a couple of articles that you can write a day. You know, mm-hmm. Some for digital publications, it might be four or five pieces, but it's got to be really quick, speedy turnaround. Yeah. You've got to make a decision out of hundreds of emails as to which ones sound interesting and like your readers would want to read them. Mm-hmm. So you've got to firstly judge an email on a subject line. So think of it like you're doing an SEO campaign. You always try and use the words that are going to you know, pop up quite a lot in Google and get the click-through rates up and everything. Mm-hmm. You want to use words that are going to resonate and get their attention. So that's the first thing. The subject has got to be attention-grabbing. Mm-hmm. But because they've also got hundreds and hundreds of emails, if you can't tell them what the story is in like two, three lines at the top of that email, why should they read on? Like mm-hmm. Genuinely, they're up against the clock. Why should they read on? Mm-hmm. So you need to make it really kind of in their face but you want to be succinct and you want to be really informative so you get across all of the key elements of a story. So the story may be, if you're a startup, it's something relevant to you in terms of whether that's a fundraise, whether you're launching a product, um, you know, someone's joined your team, which isn't the best piece of news in the world, but sometimes it's kind of useful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or it might be something that's lying in your data, which is incredibly valuable. You have that point, which is very kind of you company centric. Great. But what is the bigger picture? Why would anyone else care about that? Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got to get the point of, you know, the news you have and how that news slots into a much broader picture that will be of interest to anyone reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the kind of really, really good, crucial thing to learn very early on. You say it's, I've seen so many pitch emails from startups, from other people working in agency, from my own juniors that I kind of nurtured on their career path as well. And you do, after a while, you just kind of look at it and go, right, give me the red pen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just cut all of this. If these couple of small paragraphs don't work, then it's not a story. Mm-hmm. And you need to come up with something better. So even with, you know, the subject that you mentioned, like maybe you know, you've got maybe a new hire or some data. What actually makes a good story? Like what is, you know, what makes a good story? <laughs> I don't think there's actually a special like, answer to that. You, when you pitch a story, you just have to give as many different elements as possible, and the story is always going to be something that is much bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So. You know, unless you're Apple <laughs> or a much larger company, it's very, very difficult for you to be the story. So you've always got to put the story in a way that you're very aware of what the human interest of that story is. So if you can take any very technical thing that make it 
emotive in some way and kind of fit in with people within a much wider community than you've got a story. Mm-hmm. From a journalist standpoint, you know, they want to write articles that one, they find interesting, but secondly, their readers are going to definitely find interesting and come along and read because they want to get the traffic on their website, they want to get the readership on up if it's print, if it's magazines, if it's anything. And, you know, they're doing that because ultimately business model is driven around advertising. If they don't get the readers, they don't get the revenue. Mm -hmm. So the story has to, uh, you know, be of interest to thousands and thousands of people. Okay, so to get more specific, I'd love to hear an example from you. And the example I'm going to try and aim for is um, uh, 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 our startup. So it's called Sitecoin. Okay. And to give you a bit of background, it's a, a currency you earn by walking. So you walk, the app converts uh, your steps into a currency called Sweatcoins, and you can use those uh, Sweatcoins to buy real life things on the app. Now, what story would you, right now on this table, think <laughs> of, <laughs> oh, yeah, posing towards you know, bloggers uh, who will oppose? Okay, so I'm going to spin something your way first before I tell you the story I already have in mind. Uh-huh. You already have one in one? Yes. Um, But it's dependent on something else first. So when you're creating a PR story, Uh you don't just create a PR story out of thin air, right? You have an idea of building out one, but the most crucial thing is you want to start at the end. So think in terms of your business objectives or your specifically marketing objectives. You know, in three months time or six months or it could be a year, what do you want to have achieved? So if you're, you know, Sweatcoin, you're looking at maybe user growth and mm-hmm. getting more people using the app, mm. then that's your objective for PR. And then you kind of have to work backwards. So you start with the objective that you want to get more people using your app. Great. Who do you want using the app? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say people, but actually, you know, what is the persona of your target audience? figure out who the persona is, what the audience is, and then look at what mediums they are engaged with. So what are they reading? What social media are they using on a daily basis? What types of stories get their attention? And when when I'm saying types of stories here, I'm not so much saying, uh, you know, how I was describing earlier, kind of the broader, bigger picture type thing. I mean, like, actually, what does the content look like? So is it lists? Is it... Images, is it text, is it video, is it sound? So the format. The format, mm. yeah. So how they consume their content. Exactly. So you know, if you're looking at kind of a millennial market, we're all on Twitter, we're all on Facebook, we're all of the BuzzFeedy type generation yeah, yeah. where we're we're engaging with lists or the articles that we're more likely to click on are a little bit balmy, if yeah. anything, right? That you know, it's it's based around Oh, woman seen on tube doing crazy <laughs> move yeah, something. Yeah. Probably me last week. Um, <laughs> but you know, you want to. Yeah, You've got to think. You know, actually, you know, if you are your target market, what are you looking at, yeah. and what story would get your attention? Yeah. So you know, if you're say looking at user growth and you are after that millennial market, then I would almost say that the the story that you want to communicate, you want to do a stunt. And with the app that you have, you have the potential to do that. So could you find someone and the challenge is for a month in London, they cannot use public transport. Mm -hmm. They cannot use taxis, they cannot use a bike, they could potentially use a bike because that's exercise. But, you know, what 
what could you get someone to do for a month and constantly have your app running and at the end of it kind of measure how much money did they make yeah and what did they buy with that like? exactly so all the stuff they bought this month with coins yeah they didn't even and then, and then how do you get them reporting on that? So, you know, do you get them to do a daily update that you then post on Vine or on Instagram? Do you just do kind of snapshot images of them sweating profusely or looking really smug when they get to work in early and all of the tubes have stopped for the day, mm -hmm. right? You know, how can you jump on that? The other thing, actually, just to, this is what happens. My brain stops spinning. Yeah, but, you know, the tubes stop running. There's a tube strike. You've got thousands hundreds of thousands of people trying to get to work bus is a crap option because yeah. everyone else is on a bus forest bikes run out very quickly yeah. lots more people suddenly look at walking and go oh i could probably get to work in 45 minutes 50 yeah. minutes yeah. how many people could you suddenly go didn't spend money on a tube today fancy making some money walking instead mm. mm -hmm. so you the, to, to get a, a, a journalist to notice you, you can't just, even if your product's cool, you can't just tell them about the product. You have to spin a story around it uh, that is intriguing, uh, not just on the product level, but as a, a, a human life story itself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is so, you know, the minute you can humanize something, it's more of a story. And especially with the kind of product that you're working on, if you're, you know, driving on trying to get people fit and healthy, but they make money in the process, well, how many users can you get talking about how using your app has benefited their life? Mm -hmm. And and do you usually then send the journalists like the written story, or do you just send them details and they'll write it off themselves? Multiple different ways you can do it. So the the traditional way is you would pull together a press release yeah. and a press kit. So mm -hmm. the types of stories that you guys could generate, you would definitely need to have images. You could give details about who the person was, so a rough idea of where they're from, what age they are. You know, even like you know, single, getting ready for a wedding, or you know, any yeah, kind of yeah. add additional detail like that. Um, and package everything up in such a way that you hand it over to a journalist and they can kind of pick and choose what they want to do. Mm. So after you are at Albion Drive, you got Shockwave onto the TechCrunch show. Talk us through that process. How did you do that? Oh, <laughs> how did I do that? That was a while ago now. Um, <laughs> so one of the, the, the key elements within PR and we can't push this enough. I mean, it's, it's not even just a PR-specific thing. It's a normal thing in business. You need to be able to create lasting relationships. Mm. And in my world, I need to be able to create lasting relationships with journalists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I've, I've got five years of experience now, which means I've got five years' worth of relationships. Some are younger than others, and some of them... You know, I can Facebook someone and have a random chat about stuff that's not even related to pitching a story. Yeah. It's just I know them. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, I, I've spent time with Mike Butcher. I've spent time talking to Steve O'Hare, who are two awesome guys that are at TechCrunch. Yeah. And um, with Mike, I just I just pitched him the story. Shockwave, you know. Um, so what was the story? Oh, Dan, you're really testing me now. I've got to remember. Effectively, it was... Story, dude. You should remember. <laughs> no, I, hey, if we want to put this in context, I've had over 50 clients. Yeah, yeah. Um, Shockwave, that's, that's actually the startup James used to work yes. for yeah. yeah, so I'm sure I'm sure James Joseph can tell the story much better than me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, basically, we, we wanted to showcase the product and what the product can do. And that the way to do it was I pulled on my relationship with Mike 
I very, very quickly summarize what this product does mm. and how it can revolutionize a very outdated method of payment in shops. Like, it's insane. You think mm. about the, the systems that you have. I remember when I used to work in a shop, the till system, looking back now, oh, was huge. And it was ancient and the CRM was terrible and it was awful. But Shopwave, you know, it's an iPad. It's tiny and you can put it wherever you want to yeah. and you can just manage everything much more seamlessly and it's a great user experience and, and the guys Julian and Ben had done a fantastic job building it. So all we had to do was summarize what the product actually does, how it is going to, and I hate saying this word by the way, but disrupt <laughs> um, a sector, a market, right? Which, you know, if you think about how much money massive retailers spend on these point of sale systems, yeah. how much money Shopwave could then save them, yeah. and how it could be all interconnected in a really easy way. Mm -hmm. That's huge, because there's this little startup in Shoreditch that could change this billion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. That's your story. Uh, and I think that's pretty much what I pitched Mike. And then we just did a face-to-face -face meeting, and the guys talked to Mike, told them about their journey, what they'd done before, and then they actually gave him a live demo. So they showed him exactly how the platform works. Mm -hmm. I did remember. Look, it came to me. <laughs> I'm impressed. Thanks. You remember your own story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. So on that basis, uh, would you recommend uh, startups to hire PR agencies, or would you uh, say that they can uh, learn it themselves? So I think there is a time and a place where a PR agency makes sense. But I am very much of the opinion that an early stage startup does not need a PR agency. Mm -hmm. So PR agencies can cost you a lot of money. And even with all the planning in the world, PR is still to a degree a little bit like, you know, licking your finger and putting it in the air to kind of tell which way the wind is blowing. Yeah. It's there's a lot of guessing. So even when you spend a lot of money, you know, there's no actual guarantee on the return on investment. Mm -hmm. So when you're much, much smaller and every penny counts to building your business, it does not make sense to have a PR agency. Mm -hmm. Yes, it will take your own time and that's on top of everything else you're doing, but you can afford to spend your time trying to get some press yourself before spending thousands of pounds using an agency. So I think the, the best time to look at engaging with either a PR agency or a freelance or even getting someone to come in-house that maybe has more of a dual role. So they're doing PR but also marketing, so it becomes mm. a bit more broader. It's when you've either had a, a kind of a significant seed mm -hmm. or, you know, you're seriously for an agency. I would even say, wait, until you've got a series A. In terms wow. of funding that, I mean, if you're making money, then fantastic, get a PR agency. <laughs> um, but, you know, I seriously don't think that you need to have one. And even if you think that a PR agency might be the difference between being at your seed round and potentially wanting to go for your Series A and just needing like a little bit more kind of profile awareness raising of you on the internet, yeah. then look to engage with either a freelancer or do projects, so do kind of like a one-off, like we've got yeah. this one story, we just want to do one month's worth of pushing, but tie it in with what you're doing strategically for your business at the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of places that you can go to for resources online. If you're looking for freelancers, there's a company called The Work Crowd, 
to the work crowd, put you in touch with the right PR or marketing freelancers for your business, and there's no recruitment cost at mm-hmm. all. So they can help find the right talent for you, and that could be you know, on an ad hoc basis, or it could be something more regular that's for you to decide, but that's a good one to have a look at. And then in terms of additional resources, you know, there's so many events going on within tech community here in London that are actively telling early stage startups how to do their marketing, whether that's growth hacking, whether that's PR, whether it's Facebook ads or you know, anything that you can go along and learn by going to those. Mm-hmm. And I guess the only area left then for someone doing, the, doing it themselves is how do they go about building the relationships with the journalists and getting in front of them? Mm. So um, I actually, I spoke at an event about this last night and the analogy I use is you become like the world's nicest stalker. <laughs> it's not hard to find contact details for journalists and there's a, a good way of getting in contact with them and then there's a way that anyone, regardless of whether you're pitching them a story, would just get annoyed. Mm-hmm. Most publications, especially if they are online, which is basically every publication, <laughs> if they're not online, then whoa! They're not a publication. Yeah, you're not a publication. <laughs> um, most publications online will have a contact us, yeah. and that contact us will either give you a generic editorial app address, which means that it will probably go through to someone kind of on the lower run within that publication to kind of then mm-hmm. pass things through to the relevant people or just make a decision then and there that it's not a story or it is a story. Or they'll have a full contact list and you can actually find the journalist that you definitely want to speak to. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of different steps that I recommend. And the first one is to figure out which journalists and which publications you should be talking about. First of all, figure out who your audience is, and then start asking people that sit within that audience, what are you reading? Um, then start looking at those publications as often as you can. Daily, fantastic, a couple of times a week, also good. Find the stories on that publication that fit within what you're doing, and start reading. Yeah cannot emphasize that enough just start reading and absorbing as much as possible you'll firstly you'll learn what stories these journalists are writing both in format and in content Mm -hmm. and secondly you'll get a rough idea of how often they're covering a certain beat or a certain type of technology and does it come out on a particular day of the week and what's the feature and you get an idea of what's going on all of that information put it in a spreadsheet You can share it with your team. You can get everyone to kind of carry the weight of doing this, but you should effectively have a spreadsheet that tells you the publication, the journalist, and then has a running list of either articles that were definitely relevant to what you do with a very, very quick, like Twitter-style summary, 140 characters. This is interesting to us because X, Y, Z. And even just kind of start putting in little notes like publishes this type of story every Wednesday. You can then, off the back of that, look and see which journalist you should definitely be talking to, and then through that publication, you can get their email address. You'll then be in a perfect place where you can create a story that you can pitch to that journalist that you can go, oh, I read this article that you wrote a couple of weeks ago and thought it was really interesting because actually we're working on something within the space that I thought you might be interested to see. But do you think that's, like you said, earlier the first two or three lines they're thinking i like is this worth reading or not so is that you know too much like ask a thing in the beginning of the email if you're really quick saw the other day they wrote a piece like this thought you might want to know blah 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 straight into the story yeah. right you know anything where if you're emailing that person you're ultimately kind of paying them a compliment yeah. because you're kind of like i actually read that article 
and I actually found it interesting and I wanted to get in contact with you. So what would you put as a subject line of that email? Still your story. Okay. Definitely your story, something that okay. gets their attention. So just in your opener, your the difference is is that you could have one email that you copy and paste and you send to hundreds of journalists. Yeah. They'll know. They know when it's a copy and paste job. It's very, very easy to tell. Yeah. If you can start by going, I saw the story that you wrote about X, Y, Z, well, they're immediately going to be slightly more receptive because most people by human nature would be. So it's very easy to email journalists in that form. The other really useful thing to do are are look at Twitter. So immediately start following all of the journalists that are relevant to you. If they tweet something that you're interested in, try and get in conversation with them over Twitter. Easy. Um, Another thing you can look to do is if you... Maybe if you have your own blog where you write about what you're doing or your sector, if they've written something and it links to something that you've actually written a couple of weeks back, you can just send them a bitly link and go, oh, it's interesting you say that because I wrote this. Oh, you do. Yeah, you're, mm-hmm. sh- you're sharing information. Yeah. What so, do you think about um, adding them on Instagram and tagging them on TikTok? Is that a bit too intense? I wouldn't want to stand out, right? Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. So there's a couple of things that I I definitely don't. You've already done that. I've done that too. Oh, so. Sorry, guys. Have you just done selfies? Did it Did it work? No, it did not. Well, there we go. So you know, there's there's a line that Twitter journalists do use to share their news because it's a very public forum. Think about Facebook or LinkedIn. Less so Instagram, it depends whether they make their profile private, I guess it depends, like Twitter, but no journalist would do that, be weird. With Facebook or Instagram, unless you're connected to that person, it's definitely not a channel for you. Yeah, never use Facebook to pitch a journalist, like that's just like personal territory, no, not like just no, like it's gonna be like someone trying to sell you something on Facebook, how weird would that (laughs) feel if you suddenly got a direct message and you're like, what? <laughs> I was just going to send a cat gift to someone. Like, you know, it's it's not it's not the place for it. Right. Um, LinkedIn, you know, it is a professional network, but again, it you're just going to get lost That's in the cool. noise. Yeah. yeah. Twitter is a great place to try and start having a conversation with them. Um, Instagram, don't tag people. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, what? I was just trying to be different. Yeah. <laughs> didn't work, though, did it? It didn't. No. I just thought if I kept pushing, maybe. Yeah. Um, the other thing is is you know, a lot of journalists, specifically within te- I mean, in every industry, but within the tech industry where we sit, they do go along to events. So if you <laughs> you follow them on Twitter, it's not hard to see a picture of them and then recognise them when they're out and about. But I can't emphasise enough that if you do meet a journalist, just talk to them like they're human beings. Yeah. I, I, it's yeah. like when you're an investor and you're at an event and suddenly loads of people just come up to you and immediately start pitching their business and you're kind of stood there going, this is really awkward, I can't run away. And it's not, you know, treat them like a human being. Try and connect with them on a level that isn't just, oh, I have a story for you. Mm. Um, I mean, that's, you know, it's just kind of common sense and common decency, really. You want to be friendly and be memorable because you're not the one that went along and just went, ah, story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and the other thing to do is if you do meet them, try and follow up within like the next 48 hours. And when you do follow up, keep it short, sweet, friendly. And what sort of events uh, do these 
in terms of use you go to and where can you find these events? So most of the major kind of tech conferences that happen all throughout Europe, all mm-hmm. throughout London, there'll always be press that attend. There might only be a handful, there could be hundreds. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just being aware and the easiest thing to do is if you're following them on, on Twitter for instance, then you'll get a rough idea of where and which events they're going to because they usually tweet in advance to say XYZ and you'll see kind of like different journalists tweeting each other going, oh, you're going to this event, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to that event, yeah. blah, 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 blah. You just keep an eye on that. Yeah, me too. See you there. Hey, guys. Yeah. Don't tag them on Instagram. Don't do it. I recently added Chris Sucker on Snapchat. Uh, I think that's going down well. Do you know Chris Sucker? No, uh, the no. um, the big Silicon Valley investor, I think he's invested in uh, Twitter, Instagram, yeah, really big guy. So yeah, you know, got his Snapchat and started doing it. That's creepy, right? Um, Just don't send any inappropriate images over Snapchat. <laughs> that's all I can say. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to impress this. <laughs> okay, thank you for that PR masterclass. That's okay. So moving on to your other project, yes. Geek Girl. Yeah. which focuses on women in technology, mm-hmm. which is obviously a great initiative. Can you just talk us behind, you know, the initiative behind that and uh, what inspired you to join that organisation? Yeah, so Geek Girl, initially, it started in Stockholm, right, about six, seven years ago. And the reason was there were a couple of different women who were going to tech conferences and they kept meeting each other because there were no other women to meet. Um, I actually, I don't know if I can say this on the podcast, you can bleep this out, but um, I had to do one of our usual introductions at one of our events, and the way I described it was, you know, it was a total sausage fest, and that's how Geek Girl came about. Um, you know, they, they kept meeting each other at these tech conferences, and then, you know, you also notice that the majority of people, if not everyone speaking at these events, were male. Mm-hmm. You want to go into a lot more than they were typically white men, mm-hmm. white middle-aged men, yeah. um, or they were slightly younger and wearing hoodies. And, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's a real pain because there is a mass shortage of, of women in tech and there's a lot of debate going on around it and how we can get more people involved. There's, there's a few different problems. So the one problem is longer term. You know, we can find more women to come into tech roles, but unless we're getting like the next generation and the generation after that interested in technology, then we're forever going to have a shortage. Mm-hmm. So there's a massive thing to be said for educating the next generation. And that's not just specific to girls, that's specific to boys as well. So we want to get as many people educated within tech. Great. want to make it more appealing. The other problem is that women and this is very much a generalization but you know we we're not necessarily as confident as men so we don't put ourselves forward to speak at events and there are people out there that are fantastic at doing that but the majority were a little bit more oh i don't know if i'm good enough and And it's actually you are good enough you're just lacking that confidence to get up and and get on stage so geek girl came about because we wanted to put more women on the stage and not talk about the lack of women in tech but instead have experts who happen to be female get on stage and talk to a mixed room of men and women about what they're doing Mm -hmm. and in doing so you're putting women on stage in front of other women who then may be inspired to do more in their careers learn more or get up and talk so you're kind of creating 
confidence by showcasing confidence. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So Geek Girl, <clears throat> we've been in London now for about four years, and we were founded by three like amazing women, um, Magda, Josie, and Robin, who are just absolute powerhouses. So Robin Exton is the founder of Her, which is a lesbian and bisexual dating app. Is, is that from Silicon Valley? I think that's a TV show. Yeah, yeah well, one, no, um, that's Channel 4. What was it? Yes, it's yeah. Channel 4. Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's, that's Yeah, that's Oh, very cool. Yeah, so she pitched to uh, the guy from uh, the smoothies. Um, innocent. Innocent smoothies, yes. Yeah. The big investment from him. I'm, I'm sure they did. I think she may have done. So she's had quite a lot of angel investment from multiple different people. She's, she's awesome. So she went through the wire program here. Then she moved to Silicon Valley. She went through Y Combinator. And now she's based out in San Francisco. Oh, very cool to know she's, she's doing well. Yeah. Because at the start of the show, like, uh, she was so timid and, like, her older sister, I think it was, was like, oh, what are you doing with your life? And she's like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go, I'm going to just go to Silicon Valley and make this happen. And then she just then went, pitched at events. Um, yeah, was, she was out of all the candidates on the show. I don't know if you've seen it. She was my favourite. Yeah, well. she yeah. was really good. Go on, go on, do it. Really, really funny. She was really she's, funny. She's Rob, Robin is awesome. Yeah. Like, if you want an epitome of someone who just goes out there and gets it done. Yeah. Stop and it. she had no history in, in tech either, right? She was just, she just popped into Yeah, she's self-taught. Yeah. Self-taught, and she built an app that, you know, actually appeals to lesbians or bisexuals because it's an app that's designed specifically for women, yeah, whereas yeah. a lot of uh, dating apps out there are either replicas of something that is male to male or male to female, and they're just tweaked with colour. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the user experience and what that person actually wants to get out of that application hasn't changed, and mm. it doesn't work. Mm. So Robin built something that actually does, and, and she's doing phenomenally, phenomenally well. So, so Robin and uh, Josie, who was based here for a while, she's now moved to New York. I'm kind of like, when do I get yeah. here? Like, can someone you take me over there in, in a bit? Um, and then uh, Magda, who's still based here and is a uh, part of um, Starkleys and, and Rise, so doing a lot in the fintech space. Mm. And they started four years ago, and we do events every four to six weeks and we have a particular theme, particular sector, it could be a particular job role that we focus on and, and the usual format is we find three women and they come along and they do a 10 minute presentation and then they do 10 minutes of Q&A and we do that and then network. And originally we started with breakfast and then funny enough when I came along with a couple of the other new ones, drinks and evening do seem to become <laughs> a lot more regular. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it's it's great, and we also do an annual conference, which has grown and grown. So we did an annual conference last year in September at Second Home, and we had 200 women in attendance throughout the day. We have 30 amazing speakers, wow. and the thing that I love the most about Geek Girl is that our attitude is always yes, and you can do it. So anyone comes up to us with an idea for a business, do it. Mm. You know. I want to do X, Y, Z, I want to contact this person and I'm going to make big things happen. Yeah, sure. How can we help? Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll try and help as much as we can because you can just do so much by having great karma and pushing other people forward. Yeah. And, and that's what Geek Girl is all about and it's just, it's an addictive platform. I love it. I, I wish I was a girl so I could do it. <laughs> yeah, so this is a guy yeah, can come along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, <laughs> so I'll tell you quickly when the next two events are. So on March the 10th, we are doing an event at Shoreditch House, 
And this is for, <laughs> I know, it's very swish. Uh, this is for International Women's Day. So we're going to have three female founders and they're going to talk about their startup journeys. And we're going to have one that's very early stage, one that's kind of growing mid-stage, and then one that has either had a very significant round of investment or has successfully exited. Uh, so they're going to focus on three different stages of their startup yep. journey. Which for anyone in the audience who is thinking about being an entrepreneur and building something should be quite inspirational. The other event, and I'm sure you guys are going to get quite excited about this one, <laughs> is on the 21st of March, we will be at the Hoxton Hotel in Shoreditch. And place. Uh, yeah, you're a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we are doing an event on sex tech. So, Ooh. <laughs> oh, I? I thought it was going to get more of an applause for that. Well, we're, um, just, we're just we're trying to be decent people. Sorry, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> what did you expect? It's like an unzipping of this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the microphone no, just, is on. No, I just, um, I just, I just normally whenever I say that, people immediately kind of go, ooh. Like, it's, it's either like a very British, like, ooh, what? Or it's all they're just kind of like, ooh. Can I come along to that? <laughs> so the idea with the sex tech event is that we're going to actually look at how technology is changing our sexual and romantic lives. So you think about how you meet people nowadays. Most people meet on an app. It's Tinder. So so Tinder are actually going to come along and talk at our event. Oh, cool. Uh, along with Robin, who's back over from San Francisco. So, so she'll be there to talk about her. Uh, yeah. And then my ultimate favorite, uh, we have... A girl coming along who's a dear friend who is the chief pleasure officer of a new startup called Misty Vibe, which is a Internet of Things connected vibrator. Oh, I think I met her one time. Stephanie. Did she work in PR as well? Yes. Yeah, I remember. She's really yeah. Uh, she is. <laughs> she's my kind of people. Yeah. Yeah. Her story's quite cool because she's the first to do that as well, right? Uh, I think there's been others, but the the whole idea with Mystery Vibe that I love is that they've, they've developed this vibrator that will, will go on the market later this year, and the vibrator is connected to an application on your phone. You can design the perfect vibe for you, but you can then also publish it. So you imagine kind of a, a little very discreet social marketplace specifically within kind of Mystery Vibe. You can find and trial someone else's perfect vibe. Mm. So that the whole idea with them is they want to be the apple of pleasure and they want to break down taboos and I am all for breaking down taboos. So yeah. it's going to be a very, very fun evening. Good so cocktail. So, so, so where can you, yeah, 10th of March, and when, where can we register or buy tickets? So if you go to geekgirlmeetup.co.uk, we have an events page which will keep you in the loop. You can also sign up to our newsletter. So the minute tickets go on sale, we send the newsletter out to your inbox. You normally have to be really quick. <laughs> um, the Shoreditch House one, we have very limited tickets for the 10th of March. And the sex tech event on the 21st of March, we do have more tickets available, but they will also be sold by uh, the Hoxton Hotel, so you have to be very, very quick off the mark. Good stuff. I mean, I'm sure we'll see you there. Both of us. <laughs> Yay! So, um, to start winding up, what is, uh, as Cathy, what's the most frightening thing you've ever done? Oh. You're covering your mouth there. I'm, I'm, I know, I'm, I'm actually big. trying to think. <laughs> um, so I will be really honest about something that I did recently which was a little bit nerve-wracking it's going to sound really odd i'm going to get deep for a minute um but i i published a very personal post about mm -hmm. a week and a half ago 
and it's to do with my own battle with uh, depression and anxiety. And I, I wrote this piece, basically just being kind of really honest and saying, look, actually, when you talk to me or hear me talk, you might not think this is a depressed person, this is an anxious person, because uh, most people that suffer with depression and anxiety can be very good at covering it up. Sure. Uh, but I wrote this piece to talk about where I felt like I was at the end of last year, which was not a very happy person. And I talked about this whole idea of actually being very aware of the fact that I was putting myself in situations that made me feel terrible, made me feel depressed. And I needed to stop doing that, mm -hmm. which sounds so simple. But when you're in that depression anxiety phase, you don't really think about it. Um, and I had this new mantra, which was to do what makes you happy. So stop putting yourself in terrible situations and do what makes you happy. So I, I wrote this piece and I'd been like, I mean, and Aaron about publishing it for a couple of weeks. And I just had one night the other night where I just went, you know what? Publish it. Mm. What is the worst that can happen? And it was that kind of terrifying moment where I was like, do I publish it? Do I not publish it? Do I? And you know, it was like an anxiety and thinking like, oh God, do I, do I, do I? And I published it. And this was about a week and a half ago now. And it's the best thing I've ever done. Terrifying. Mm. Like, even just on like a personal internal level, it was really hard. Mm. But I published it and it's amazing. I have had so many people reach out to me saying thank you for publishing that. I'm in a terrible place right now and I needed to read something like that. I've had some great um, reception for it on social media. Uh, and it, again, it's something quite personal to me, but I wanted to get it out there because a lot of people are in those situations and you're just completely unaware of it. Yeah. Uh, and off of the back of that, I've been in contact with someone now and we might be working on a project more to do with highlighting mental health within kind of the tech startup environment because if you're a founder it's very very tough and it can take a serious strain mm -hmm. on you mentally yeah. right yeah uh so we'll you know that's all i can say on it at the moment but we'll hopefully have more information soon do you want to give out uh the website where we can read the blog so it's on medium and okay. it's just connected to my own medium account so you can follow me on twitter which is at kathy with a c white 10 like the number um, so one zero. And if you go to Medium and find and search Kathy White Ten, it will come up. And uh, yeah, if anyone feels like sharing it, that would be amazing. I just think that in terms of mental health, we all need to become much better at yeah. talking about it because mm -hmm. if you don't talk about it, then it's more of an issue. Yeah. So I'd say that's uh, kind of the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. That's something very great. And I guess in terms of you know what three qualities from successful people around the world would do you admire and if you could have them what would they be and why? Failure. So, failure. Yeah, so I mean, you know, everyone fails, but the most successful people in the world are people that have failed and failed and failed and failed and different degrees of failure. Mm. But you only really get to that successful point by failing and then learning. So I think there's a lot to be said for people being very aware of how they have failed and sharing that information with others and then working to not be in that situation again. Sounds like a, a weird way of summarizing it, but I think, you know, failure, we all think of it as a very negative thing, but actually it can be incredibly positive. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's great. And ooh, other things that I really admire from successful people. I always wish that I am... Um, I was a little bit more aggressive about what I wanted, 
So uh, I, I personally have that like typical English problem where I'm like, oh, no, you go and <laughs> just take yeah. a little bit more, you know, polite and too polite and, yeah. and you know, apologetic for the way I am, which I've literally just done. Like, I need to get over that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I wish that I was a little bit more tenacious and a little bit more aggressive about getting what I want and not feeling apologetic for that. Cool. Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of very successful people are, are those incredibly driven go-getters who roll with the punches but just kind of keep working towards something quite aggressively so I, I think that's something else that I admire mm-hmm. and final one. oh final one <laughs> careful gadgets <laughs> um, is, that, is that one anyone not being clumsy uh-huh. <laughs> this is my personal one um because I just seem to break everything I touch um I guess, uh, like a lot of people, it's that admiration of passion. So finding that one thing that you so, so, so believe in that it drives everything that you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, firstly, being able to figure out what that is can be very, very, very hard for a lot of people. And that's why I think passion is such a great thing to admire, because if someone is so driven by that one cause or the, the one thing that they absolutely love and that, you know, leads the path for what they're doing, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Love it. And uh, in closing, uh, are there any more resources or tips you uh, would like to leave our fellow aspiring entrepreneurs with before closing? Can I plug Geek Girl Meet? Please do. Yeah. Yay! Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this thing is, again, quite personal to me. So when I talked about the depression and the anxiety and everything, one of the things that I absolutely love when I was at uni, and this goes back to the beginning of the interview when I said I wanted to be a television and radio presenter, mm-hmm. I really missed presenting. And I, I found a way in which I could combine two of my loves. And this is with a podcast that I'm now running, which is called Geek Girl Meet. And this is for Geek Girl Meetup. And the reason I came up with this, and, and the girls are very supportive in us doing this, is with Geek Girl Meetup, we, we do all of this outside of our day-to-day. And we were inundated with requests from schools, colleges, universities to come along and, you know, actually talk to their students about working in tech, and specifically the younger girls. Yeah. And we can't because we all have full-time jobs and we just can't take the time. So we thought, what if we can just create an online resource yeah. where people can go and actually listen to women working in technology and hear more about their careers, how they got to where they are, what they read, um, and just get inspiration and actually more of an overview of what jobs are available in tech because I think one of the problems we have is that when you say women in tech you originally kind of go straight to a, oh well they're a programmer or they're an engineer and it's mm-hmm. a very very technical role but when I think of women in tech I mean I, I consider myself a woman in tech but I'm a marketing person who just happens to work within the sector of technology yeah. women in tech to me is just any woman that is working within the tech sector in whatever role. And with this podcast, I want to highlight just how different all of these roles are and the types of companies that people are working for. And uh, the great thing is, is that I now get to sit down with women who are absolutely fascinating, talk about their careers and learn a lot from them in doing the, the process of the interview. And I also get to present and in keeping with my whole new mantra of do what makes you happy, this is something that I'm doing because I think there's a, a lot of good to be done in terms of the community and it makes me feel amazing when I do it. 
Thanks for that. And uh, thanks again for all of the, the key gems you gave us regarding PI. So many. So there you have it. A PR masterclass by Kathy White. Um, and just to round off, three key takeaways. So make sure you do your own PR. It's, it's so doable as well. Um, and especially bootstrapping could be really instrumental to the growth of your startup. Um, make sure when you are sending your emails to these journalists and publications that you have a very, very strong um, subject line. Um, make it attention grabbing, as Kathy said, um, and get straight to the point in the first few lines once, just once they do open your email. Um, and thirdly, um, make sure you craft a very, very good story about your startup and make sure you find the human element the human interest of the story that you're trying to sell because ultimately the journalist needs to make sure the story that they're writing is interesting um really really hope you guys enjoyed the episode and look out for our next show we will be having a very special guest from 500 startups so do look out for that till next time